And joining us now is Harry Littman, a former United States Attorney and Deputy Assistant Attorney General in the Justice Department. He's now a Senior Fellow at the USC Annenberg Center. He is Executive Producer and host of the Talking Feds podcast and a Senior Legal Affairs Columnist at the Los Angeles Times, where his latest article is Trump called the latest 14th Amendment ruling a victory. He couldn't be more wrong. Welcome to Background Briefing, Harry Littman. Thanks, Ian. Always a pleasure. Happy Thanksgiving to the whole Background Briefing Army. <laughs> Thank you. Army. <laughs> it's the smallest the army on the planet. The legion. No... <laughs> yeah. So I obviously want to talk to you about the, the D.C. trial, the Florida trial, and the Atlanta, Georgia trial. But let's just okay. touch on your latest article at the uh, Los Angeles Times, in which you say the opinion by Colorado District Judge Sarah B. Wallace is a giant step towards disqualifying Trump from the ballot on constitutional grounds. And, of course, that goes against all of the other analysis that we've heard. It was basically, right. <laughs> the, you know, he got a get-out-of-jail-free card for insurrection. Right. So let me let me tell you why I have this quixotic view. First, you know, the background um, assumption has been that this is a real sort of long shot and kind of a constitutional puzzle. It feels like it's right or it must be in some way, but no one knows how. Um, and I think it has been a common uh, assumption of the very uh, impressive cadre of scholars and commentators who um, have been uh, championing it, that it would need to go to the U.S. Supreme Court. If you think about the U.S. Supreme Court, if, a, if that abstract legal question comes to them in some way and it would have to be served up, they would be very likely to say, you know, we can't, this isn't, at every other court, one other background fact, has dodged the question by saying it's not ripe or um, this is not for us, it's for Congress. So they never, they haven't engaged on the merits. And it seems to me the U.S. Supreme Court would, in the absence of some trial judge actually having evidence and uh, making credibility findings and all those things, they would say the same thing. We can't decide what happened. We can opine on the law. Um, and so I've seen, as, as many others, very interesting, but how the hell could it actually happen? There's a pretty clear path now to how it could happen. It's going to go to the Colorado Supreme Court. They can, um, there, there are ways they can uh, reverse her, of course, but it's so much more tangible and concrete. All they need to do is affirm on her factual findings, and he engaged in that's a sort of a First Amendment analysis and insurrection. Um, and then there's this little piece that caused um, people to say it's a get out of jail free card. And what they meant was that she read the 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 clause to say an officer of the United States doesn't include the president. And so everyone, it's, it's sort of a uh, handy soundbite to say the president only gets a get-out-of-jail-free card, and that means Jefferson Davis wouldn't have been subject. Let me just say, it, it doesn't list the president. There are other clauses that don't. I don't think it's a crazy um, argument, but I think it's one that is now really set up for the Colorado Supreme Court to go the other way, and that's the 5%. And the 95%, the table's now set, whereas it was bare 
before. So we're, you know, sort of a step away from the U.S. Supreme Court. It all has to happen pretty quickly. Colorado has to set its ballot probably within, you know, uh, less than two months. And uh, you can see a path now, whereas before it seemed very unclear how a court or the courts of the country could ever affirm the claim, which is the basic argument that people like Tribe and Ludwig have been making. You don't need anything else. It's quote unquote self-executing. So to me, and by the way, the little thing that they need to do, they would have had to do anyway. So to me, it took it from really kind of far out there, speculative and quixotic to, you know, a, a definite concrete possibility and um, that you can you can really um, sketch out what happens. So that's my um, quixotic view. Should the Colorado Supreme Court um, actually, they will review the case. Should they reverse on officer and affirm on everything else, it will look not so quixotic anymore. And I'll, um, you know, people people will go back, I think, to the op-ed you've just quoted from. Right. So, anyway, there you have it. But this is, of course, the Colorado challenge is not the only, there's been several, or a couple others. That but none of them gotten out of the gate, at least if you assume right. that the U.S. Supreme Court has to decide it. Because right. what's the Supreme Court going to do with an opinion that says, well, this isn't ripe yet, or this is for Congress to do? They can't, even if they were to reverse that legal finding, you got to start all over again. Somebody, somebody has to look at the law and the facts and say... As you would, you know, if you were trying to disqualify someone because they're not 35, you can make that legal ruling, but you need the birth certificate and you need a holding. You know, it looks to me like he's 34, and that's my ruling. Somebody had to do that, and that's just what the right. judge in Colorado did. Right, but that what you're referring to, the, the age of the president to qualify to run is right. in the constitution so, so is this. so There's is no doubt about it this so is, is section three though isn't it section three of the 14th amendment which is what right. we've been it was talking put about in, and there's only like three or four qualifications everyone agrees this is one meaning if you don't meet it you may not be an officer of the united states so but it's it's obviously not as cut and dried as uh are you 35 but you know, states plenty of times have said, you know, I don't think somebody's from this state. It's a it's a judgment call when they take the facts and you, you maybe have to be for Congress or I don't think someone's natural born. They do that a lot. A voter says it shouldn't be on the ballot and the secretary of state, you know, makes determination and then it goes to the courts. All those things have happened here. But in this very, you know, much more sort of subjective um, uh, standard or qualification, and one, of course, involving who's going to be the president of the United States. It still seems mind-boggling that the U.S. Supreme Court would make this legal ruling that would um, eliminate Trump from the ballot, but um, it's, you know, we're, as I say, a giant step closer. Right, but what about the originalists on the Supreme Court? I mean, if it's in the Constitution, spelled out pretty clearly in Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, how are they going to get around that? Here's one way. Two, I can think of two ways if they're looking to get around. One would be to say the definition that the Colorado courts adopted of insurrection was um, too um, uh, loose, too expansive, so send it back down. 
The other one, though, we're getting pretty nerdy, but I know you've got a brainy crowd, the background briefing legions. They, I thought they would say, as they've said in the gerrymandering cases, this is just not for us to decide, it's for Congress. But they would have to take one extra step now. If they were saying that generally, they'd basically be saying as a matter of constitutional separation of powers and respect for a coordinate branch, we say this has to be Congress. But this is a state now. And if a state court, I think, would obviously be competent to say somebody's not 35. So they have to say that it's for Congress, even as against, and you know, therefore it was unconstitutional for a state court even to decide it. And that's that's you know, that's pretty funky, it seems to me. So we are in let me put it this way. I think we are really in play. And it's only the sort of taking a step back and not using lawyers tools, but just, you know, as if we were talking in a bar, it just seems so mind boggling that this is the way the national nightmare might end. But when you get try to get serious about the Constitution, you know, it sure looks like he took an oath. It sure looks like he engaged in insurrection. Uh, and, you know, what else is it for? It's got to mean something, right? Right. Well, let's talk about the other trials, the D.C. Sure. trial, which is supposed to begin in March of 24, the Florida trial is supposed to begin in May of 20, and I know you've written about some, with some skepticism, yeah. albeit justified, about Judge Cannon being in the bag for Trump. She already displayed that earlier on and was, was rebuked by the the appeals court fairly soundly and then of course you've got Atlanta Georgia that's supposed to start on August the 5th of 2024 it's it's obviously a crowded schedule and do you think that if Judge Cannon delays it how bad would that be because it wouldn't that open the the way for the Georgia case in I mean in other words the DC case starting in March of 2024 how long would that run do you think so that is the the um, you know that's that's the north star here that we have to keep our eye on and you know I think it will likely start um, not much later than that. How long? I my sort of uh, guesstimate as a former prosecutor is the U.S. Uh, case takes three to four weeks and the defense case takes one to two. Um, you know, and jury selection, et cetera. So less than less than two months. And otherwise, I think after the last week, Ian, we're kind of out of luck to the extent we think it's important, even exigent, as I do, for the American people to know whether the the uh, person they're voting for is a convicted felon. Because, you know, Fonnie Willis, this perplexed me a little. She was ready to go with all 19 in the last October, and now she goes for August. Maybe she thinks that stakes out a date that will hold for her, but she herself has said, case can take four months, and that will probably be conservative. You have to add on to that jury selection, and you have to add on to that a defense case, and you do the math, and there's no way it finishes by, it's ongoing, but no way it finishes by uh, election time. And now back to canon. You know, in the bag or not, I think is almost beside the point. She just she just doesn't have game for running a tight courtroom. She and she's done something a little sneaky, it seems to me, which I which I found particularly unsettling. She she granted very big 
uh, extensions in interim deadlines that if you think about what's coming next, nearly assure a similar bump in the trial date, but she hasn't done that yet. She's going to wait. And uh, so that gives the department nothing to try to recuse her with. But she will herself be almost certainly after August 4th. Um, and so if the Fonnie Willis case holds, that means she she can't start until 2025 or whenever. So I really think of the criminal trials pending, there's a little bit of a wild card in the New York Alvin Bragg case, the hush money case, but you know, it's conduct before he was president. And so I, I think really we are down to one bullet in the in the gun and that's it's it's a good bullet, although the Mar a Lago case is a very clean one. He really should be convicted with no trouble. And it's more complicated the January sixth case, but that I think will go. And in some ways it's the most fitting because it really goes to the heart of what made him such a wicked uh, president and a um, a wicked defeated president after the after the election that he will go down in infamy for that conduct. So it, it makes sense that he'd be convicted for it. But right now there's there's no backup plan. There's no uh, there's there's only a belt, no suspenders. Right, but if if he's convicted, that that would be sometime probably in in May, right, of next year, and and right. Well, may you know, and then when, what about sentencing? I mean, in other words, is he going to run for the presidency from a jail cell? No, I think the answer is clearly not, um, because he will be sentenced. But then the question will be: Does the judge suspend the sentence while? Uh, he appeals. And that's a judgment call normally that a judge makes. It has to do with whether there's anything kind of weighty that a defendant can raise on appeal. But first ever president who's going to be raising, you know, maybe they're not so hard, but first time uh, on a, you know, constitutional claims, I think it's just quite likely she will say, and she probably should say, um, you can be out of jail while you while you pursue your appeals. If the Supreme Court takes them up, we're talking about, you know, over a year. And if he becomes president during that time, there's no question of pardoning himself. He doesn't have to do it. He can just instruct the Department of Justice to drop the as yet unfinished case. So I, I think the conviction might you would think it would matter a lot, but, you know, you would think 91 indictments would matter a lot and they don't seem to. But it, it could matter a lot for people in terms of making their decisions. But the prospects of his running or governing from jail, because if he's president, this, there will, you know, there'll be other decisions saying you can't be in jail while you're president. So the prospects of his running or governing from jail are close to nil. I would say, but the prospect of being convicted of a really serious crime after he's the basically um, assumed or even anointed nominee, uh, depending, you know, when the Republican mention is, I, th that I think is a is a pretty remains a pretty strong prospect. So, just in the last couple of minutes, then Harry, let yeah. me, let's let's talk about the uh, Fifth Circuit decision, essentially to gut Section Two of the Voting Rights Act after the Chief Justice John Roberts gutted Section 5 some time back. 
And this relates, of course, to what we were just talking about, the election and whether Trump could be reelected. Well, it looks as if that decision is going to help Trump because it's, it goes against any efforts to stop the most flagrant gerrymandering that's going on in various states to the benefit of the Republicans. And it seems so much like a political ruling uh, I mean, I recall when when uh, Justice uh, Chief Justice John Roberts got rid of the Section Five. He said, "Oh, you know, racial prejudice is all over, and we're we're all America's healed." Well, clearly it's not. I mean, you've seen. <laughs> he said about- one other thing at the time, which is, "We can do this because Section Two remains." There you go. And um, yeah. and now Section Two hangs by a thread. It can only be. Wait, I shouldn't say now. So you're you're totally right. But the if's a big if. I think the Supreme Court will take up the case. The Fifth Circuit, pretty conservative circuit, has gone the other way. The, the, the court has pretty much, I mean, the court has reinvigorated Section 2, even after their decision about Section 5. Just very quickly for your listeners, Section 5 was a special thing that states had to apply to the DOJ to make changes. Roberts junked that just for the reasons Ian said. But there remains Section 2, which makes it, um, which is violated if there's a gerrymander that has an imp- a bad, disparate racial impact. And even as they said, we won't look into gerrymanders generally, they said, we, but we can look at really racially disproportionate things that, you know, states that should have um, eight, you know, districts with that minority representation and they've been gerrymandered. So they have three. Now that's always remained, but the court, even as it's taken many cases that do this has never expressly said that at private people like the NAACP that did it here in, um, Arkansas, I think, uh, can bring those cases. And the Eighth circuit has just said that they can't, if that holds up in the Supreme court, then really we're down to, you know, the, 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 there's hardly anything left of the Voting Rights Act. So it's pretty serious. On the other hand, it will go to the Supreme Court, which on this particular provision has already, you know, recognized its vitality. But you always start with, uh, you know, three, Gorsuch, mm-hmm. Alito and Thomas. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's a serious, serious situation. But just in closing, though, if if standing is important, which they often argue is, what is their argument for the Fifth Circuit to get rid of Section 2? Because you mentioned that ACLU brought a yep. case, but any citizens group is able to to bring a case in a state that's, that's being flagrantly gerrymandered, and there's a whole bunch of them. We could list them, but... There have been hundreds, but, but you know, if you read Section 2, it doesn't say that exactly. And that would be it. What would be left, by the way, the DOJ could, which came in here and said, don't do this, a circuit. The DOJ could still bring cases, but that's a fraction of what could be brought. That would be the teeny little, um, you know, fine gossamer line that, that remains. But but, yeah, private people couldn't. And they've always been able to. On the other hand, says the a circuit accurately. The court, while assuming it again and again and again, has never expressly held it. And that point that I just made, Justice Brett Kavanaugh made himself in a concurrence last year. So as I say, you know, it's it's uh, it's a heart attack. The patient might recover or or not. If and one more point here in the current Congress, there's going to be no appetite for 
reviving it if the court kills it, and we'd be talking about a terribly weakened Voting Rights Act. Well, Harold Lippmann, I thank you very much for joining us here today. Always a pleasure. As I say, happy Thanksgiving to background briefers everywhere. <laughs> Thank you, Harry. And again, Harry Littman's a former United States attorney and a deputy assistant attorney general in the Justice Department. He's now a senior fellow at the USC Annenberg Center. He's the executive producer and host of the Talking Feds podcast and a senior legal affairs columnist at the Los Angeles Times, where his latest article is Trump called the latest 14th Amendment ruling a victory. He couldn't be more wrong. 